I'm Sonia Morton Firth and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today my guest is Eric Kleinsmith. Eric served in the US military intelligence and is an expert on terrorism. He now works for the American Military University. Today we discuss Afghanistan and his analysis of how by pulling out military forces we have opened up the next phase of terror. You have to find who that next generation is, and they've been sitting out in the wings for decades, uh, growing their skills and, and wanting this type of opportunity. We have to follow the money to identify who, who are the folks that are taking advantage of this, and, and then who are the new leaders that are going to uh, create these new organizations. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sonny Morton Firth Show. And today I have back um, a lovely guest that I interviewed a few months ago, and I'll let him introduce himself once more again. But enough to say, I'm very honored to have him on the show today, and I think we're in for a special treat. Eric, let me pass over to you. Can you tell my audience who you are and what you do? Sure, my name is Eric Kleinsmith. I'm a, an Associate Vice President with American Military University. We are a 100% online University. We have been either online or distance learning since our creation in 1991. We were primarily we were primarily designed for education of military personnel uh, remotely, but uh, have ch have changed over the years. And now we we have about 190 different programs. Uh, prior to coming to the school, I was a, a a U.S. Army military intelligence officer for several years. I took part in an operation called Able Danger, where we were hunting Al Qaeda prior to 9-11, and we had identified the 9-11 hijackers, but were uh, forced to delete the data because of the, uh, I wanna say the archaic rules on, on information, data mining and information harvesting uh, that included US persons. So I'm the one who deleted the data that later, and I later had to go testify that, uh, that uh, I was the one that um, had the information of the 9-11 hijackers in New Jersey cell and yet was required to delete it by military regulations. I went on from there to become a, a program manager and, uh, with a very small company called Lockheed Martin where I ran intelligence training for over a decade for army uh, intelligence uh, uh, operatives, intelligence soldiers for many years. Um, and look, guys, if you, if you haven't seen um, the, the show where I talk to Eric and we, we go into depth about 9-11 um, and the investigation behind that, please do check that out. I'll put the link again in the show notes. So if you haven't seen that, that episode, please go give it a watch. I think you'll find it very interesting. I think let's just on that note before um, we come to talk about Afghanistan, which is why Eric's on the, the program today, um, we should we should definitely mention that we're, we're coming up to the anniversary. Um, can't believe it's it's been so long since 9/11. Is there anything, Eric, that you want to say on that note? It's it's been a very it's been a very tough. I mean, there's everybody's going to have a different feeling. Uh, if you were old enough to remember the day as it happened, um, but my my biggest. I guess my biggest uh, regret is that we had these guys before. We had the, the ability. There was really no, not many folks that were watching terrorists within the U.S. prior to 9-11, but we were. And so when we knew this had happened, um, our team, a very small team, 
um, we've carried that burden the rest, you know, for, for the past 20 years that we, we knew this was coming. We knew that, um, you know, not knowing the shape or form or, or the location, but we knew something was coming and, and, and having the ability to, to look in the future like that has been, it's been tough to carry for 20 years and to see all of the consequences for that, including just the last few months that, that we're now in the, what would be considered the fall of Afghanistan, that after 20 years of being in country, we're now in a new stage where we're, we're reverting, we're going to have to revert back to watching for the, the terrorists to come to us instead of going to them. Well, well let, let's go to that, um, Eric, because you've recently um, written an article, which I don't believe is, is published quite yet, uh, or it might be by the time this is aired in it, the next couple of it, days. Yeah, it should be out today or tomorrow. This is Thursday or Friday uh, of the 9th or 10th of September on at amuedge.com. And I will put the links to that as soon as I Thank get you. it, if we can, in the in the show notes. So please check those out. Eric, so come on. Look, what are your views on, on or maybe not your views, but looking at the situation now, um, as we've, as, sorry, as, as you guys, as, as the US military have pulled out um, of Afghanistan, what do you see happening? Well, there's, there's two big things that, that, that are most concerning. And the first one is just the, the massive amount of equipment that we left behind is, is going to completely jumpstart the entire international uh, Islamic fundamentalist or Islamic Jihad movement within these terror groups. Now I know that it's right now, this equipment is in the hands of the Taliban, but th this will quickly, this, the equipment equals cash equals capability. And so this will quickly spread from the Taliban into a huge, uh, a huge uh, massive uh, international black markets will open up and terror groups will get a hold of this. Whatever the Taliban can use, they will use in the short term, whatever they cannot use, or if they can't get uh, um, uh, folks to come in and fix the equipment that doesn't work, they're going to sell it. Uh, and the, the cash value alone is just an incredible amount of money to be filtering in uh, throughout all these different terror groups. And, and this is U.S. military equipment that the military right. had to leave behind. Right. What sort of equipment or how much are we talking here? Um, I mean, I, I guess most of my audience will just be general population, may not be right. so won't have right. an understanding of this. This we're talking in the in the realm of 70 to 90 billion dollars worth of equipment, ammunition, weaponry, reconnaissance uh, aircraft, helicopters. And if you think about it in terms of and this and I got this from an, a historian, an author I really like a guy named Victor Davis Hanson. He was able to he remarked in an article that over 70 years of U.S. providing military assistance to Israel, we probably gave them about 100 billion dollars over 70 years. And we gave the Taliban almost the equivalent in a month by leaving this equipment behind. Now, that equipment is not just going to stay in a warehouse or stay in stockpiles uh, in, you know, Taliban strongholds or in military bases. It is undoubtedly going to go all throughout uh, the, the, the world in terms of cash and uh, buying relationships and buying uh, capabilities or buying surrogates to work for uh, an Islamic Jihadi organization. So, so I guess from the, the immediate question that springs to mind is, um, 
Firstly, I guess, was the, the Taliban overhaul inevitable? I've spoken to a lot of veterans here mm-hmm. um, who, who have said it was inevitable that they were going to take over. Um, now, I don't know what your views are on that, but mm-hmm. whatever the views are, looking at how much um, has been left behind, surely right. there, there would have been, they would have gradually got, got the, the, that, that out of the country right. before they made the announcement that right. the US was going to pull out. Right. Now that, and that's, that's a big, you know, there's, a, there's two thoughts to this. One is, is like you just mentioned, is, is it was inevitable that they would have moved back in. If, but, but if we had prep time, we could have gotten this equipment out. The, the other thought is, is more of how uh, most terror groups have a very difficult time making a, what's called a generational jump. Um, and if you remember the, the leftist Marxist groups like Red Brigade or Action Direct or the, the Bottom Meinhof Gang from the 70s in Europe, none of these organizations were able to make that generational jump. Even within uh, the UK, the, the various parts of the IRA or splinter groups of the IRA were never able to motivate the next generation of fighters to join their cause. This, the, the only way you can do that is to never give this, uh, uh, your terrorist forces any kind of victory, but then also, and, and this is very draconian, but you have to track down and destroy every single breathing part of the organization. You can't just destroy the head and a, a new head will grow in its place. And so that's one of the, one of the things that, you know, were we really committed into tracking them down into the far reaches of every corner of the world to do that? And in some cases, we we failed that, quite honestly. Why do you think Biden pulled out so quickly? Um, I I I I think it was I think it was just part of a plan that was in motion, and there was no one there was no one to say we need to stop this and we need to rethink this along the way. No, I think that is as, as simple an answer as I can give. I, I last thing I want to do is be is get into a political argument uh, about anything else. But I, there is a tendency for many military operations. And sometimes it's just they, in, the, in the military officer corps, sometimes they call it the bus to Abilene, is everybody's on this bus, nobody wants to go to Abilene, but because it's already in motion, nobody really wants to upset, uh, upset or stop the bus uh, you know, and be, that, be the one person that does that. So once a plan is in, is in action, it, it, it continues on no matter what. And look, we can't take that time. The decision has been made. The action has been taken. Uh, The US has withdrawn as as the UK have. Um, But what do you think the measures that now should be put in place to move forward, given what you've just said? Yeah, well, the biggest thing is you know, just, just starting with the, the new capability that is now available to both the Taliban and then all of the surrogates and, and their surrogates, as well as independent uh, jihadi groups around the world. Uh, when we were doing Able Danger, we were tracking Islamic terrorists in four major locations. We were tracking them in Europe, primarily the Balkans. Uh, and, I, and as I spent a tour in the Balkans doing peacekeeping operations in the 90s, we knew where uh, Hamas offices were, where they were located right outside some of the, some of the Muslim towns. Um, so that was one area. Then there's your Maghreb, uh, the Maghreb area of, of North Africa. There were many groups that we were tracking there. There was the Middle East and then there was the Far East. As this, as this weapons and cash 
um, filters out through these different organizations, they're going to be they're going to receive an entire uh, you know new lifeline or new uh, a, a new um, new capabilities to regrow their organizations or branch out or create new organizations from scratch that are that are uh, connected to them. And so starting just with this this money aspect. And then the other piece is having this moral victory and the perception of having a victory. This is the Americans are now the fourth empire that has, that has died within Afghanistan. So you have Alexander the Great and the Macedonians, then you have the, the, the British in the 19th century, then you have the Russians in the 20th century, and now you have the Americans in the 21st century. And so that kind of victory is incredibly important for terrorist groups to stay active and to have the perception that they are winning. A terrorist group that is being defeated or is being pounded by aircraft and ground forces on a daily basis is not going to gain new recruits uh, because of the, you know, the life expectancy is relatively low. But a terrorist group that is being seen as successful is going to get all kinds of different benefits from, from a moral victory. So you're going to get a new generation of motivated fighters, a new or new leaders, a new entirely different social demographic, new goals and objectives are go now going to be set. And, you know, the, some of their initial goals, and they, and they call it to rid the, the Islamic world or Dar al-Islam from, uh, from the apostates, from the foreign invaders. Now that they feel that that may have been accomplished to a certain degree, it is now time to take, there's now time to take the fight to the West and take oh. the fight to us. So what is that? I mean, so basically what you're saying is um, we've, we've given them a new lease of life, essentially, yes. by, by pulling out, we've given absolutely. them an extra breath. Absolutely. Um, which is, is absolutely terrifying, um, given that we're literally right. on the anniversary of something that right. shattered not just a nation, but, but the world. Right. Um, what do you see happening in terms of potential potential terrorist attacks mm -hmm. um, in the future? Well, it's you know we we do have some time. There is uh, a, a simple bombing like the World Trade Center in 1993 that took about five minutes. 9/11 uh, uh, took two years of planning. Um, so it's. You're there. You're working on different timelines from very simple attacks that may occur in the Middle East or in uh, Western interests interests in the in the Middle East or in the Arab world, like the, like the Kenya and Tanzania bombing. Uh, those took those took you know a few months time. The the bombing of the USS Cole I think was an eight month planning period, with an additional two months uh, because their first first boat sank when they tried to attack a different ship. I think it was the USS the Sullivan's. Um, th those types of those are the types of markers that we now have to set, but we're going to have to pull out our old counterterrorism manuals and our old counterterrorism learning and, and threat profiling techniques to understand these these organizations and how the events of the past month is changing. They're they're all going to change to a from a very defensive and self preservation status to more of an offensive or recruitment and a let's move forward status. Uh, extremist groups do not rest on their laurels. They don't say, hey, we got this great victory. Let's hang out for 20 years and not do much. Um, that's not how but they it, survive. I guess it's, it's that, that old adage of uh, strike while the iron's hot, while you've got your momentum in, that's where, where right. you, you, you strike again. 
it's it's almost it's it's much more than just a, a new opportunity. It's almost an imperative for them to, to move forward. They they can't rest rest and sit back. They they have to move their cause forward. That's part of the, one of their core beliefs. Do you see? Is there a particular target that you think they may go for? There, it's you know it's it's wide open because your your targets could be anything from very symbolic like a tourist site or something like that. Very, and those are usually very soft targets. Um, I think the, uh, the, the Charlie Hebdo and the nightclub bombings in Terrace, those are fairly soft targets. Got, um, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of protection around those. So that it was, it was easy to, easier to plan for than say, uh, trying to attack a military base or something like that. Those, or track, attack a, a, a warship, which is considered a harder target um, um, to go after. So there's, it really depends on the individual groups, what their motivations are, what the goals they are setting, and then what's within the realm of the of the possible with what they have, you know, how they've been able to take advantage of this new lease on life, and what's in the realm of impossible. That's why the profiling these groups becomes incredibly important. Each individual group is going to have its own method of operation, its own leadership, and its own goals and objectives of what it wants to do. Their targets are going to fit within that, and that's how. And that's why I'm saying we need to pull out those books on uh, threat profiling again to learn how we do that. And and you mentioned pulling out the old books and going back to, to the old school. What does that mean? Um, it, it's you know be, when we since we've been in Afghanistan for such a long time, and even in Iraq, uh, we did spend a lot of time. Uh, go, you know, at, at least in, in the initial stages of going after to destroy and dismantle a lot of these organizations, even within the Horn of Africa, there were operations taking place. Um, though, you know, after a while, when the mission turned into more of a nation building and a stability operation, we kind of put those older, older operations and those older analytical techniques aside. Th those are the ones that we do need to bring back uh, and, and understand, again, after 20 years, most of the folks who are analysts were never were never born after 9/11, so never some of them may have not never even gotten training on pure counterterrorism operations as opposed to stability and peacekeeping operations. Wow, um, what where do you think Russia and China sit in all of this? Russia is in a is in a unique situation because they have their own problems with. Uh, with ethnic minorities, uh, both in their country and, and within the uh, surrounding it. Uh, so they still have their, their Chechen issues. They still have their, uh, um, you know, considered to be holding the tiger by the tail. They, they've learned, while they've learned their lesson and they, and they see it reinforced from their venture into Afghanistan, um, them like the Chinese are gonna, are gonna look at this more of an economic and a diplomatic windfall for them than anything else. Uh, and that's, you know, wh wherever the Americans and where the West pulls out, there's going to be a vacuum. And it's inevitable that uh, groups like the Chinese or the Russians for financial purposes or economic purposes uh, are going to want to move in. And remember, Afghanistan is just loaded with lithium and other rare earth minerals that are available for, you know, anybody who's the friend of the Taliban. So besides the weapons and equipment, they still sit on a vast amount of, of rare earth metal resources that uh, we were you know, either not prepared or um, did not think it was within our national interest to secure or to uh, contract for that. Looking at 
the picture, which which doesn't sound rosy at all. Um, what do you think, you know, putting aside, as we said before, you know, whether it was a right thing or wrong thing, I right. think you will know the answer to that. Um, right. but, but you can't undo the past. All right. we can do is look at the present and the future. Uh, right. and, and, and we're talking quite, we're talking factually about something that, that you just said, the amount of ammunition and wealth that has been left behind right. um, by the US military. Right. What 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 action steps do you think we should take? I mean, is this a matter of us getting the military back in, us uniting in terms of nations and doing something about it? I'm just saying and taking responsibility and saying, you know what, we made a mistake. We need to right the mistake and do something about right. it before it gets right. out of hand. Well, the first, I, I think the first thing is, and this is really before we do anything, we have to get an understanding of how of how of how this fallout is is going to change that entire part of the world. And my and my biggest recommendation for a lot of analysts that are looking at this is they now need to follow the money and follow where these weapons go, follow where these new organizations are getting propped up. Um, besides just the 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 way the the geopolitical balance has been upset. You know, overall, it's it would be too rash to say we need to rush right back in there, or we need to take, you know, go back on the offense and start tracking these folks down. We when well, we really don't know who, you know, who the new leaders are, except for a few handpicked ones that are in the Afghan government. We know them, uh, but we don't know how these organizations, the old leaders of Al Qaeda, they, they they're again they're old. Uh, Zawahiri and and his and, you know and the re remainders are uh, folks who survived in Al Qaeda. Uh, they're really not going to be the, the the movers and the shakers and the planners. You you have to find who that next generation is, and they've been sitting out in the wings for decades, uh, growing their skills and and wanting this type of opportunity. You, we have to follow the money to identify who who are the folks that are taking advantage of this, and and then who are the new leaders that are going to uh, create these new organizations. Uh, do you think there's any relationship building or, I mean, we're talking about the Taliban here, but mm. is there something, do we need to be sending people in at that level? In, in terms of back into Afghanistan? Yeah. Um, I, 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 I would say that's, you know, that's, that's a tough thing to do. I mean, there's, you know, we, they, we, they were discussing the option of, well, you know what, if, why don't we retake Bagram Air Base? And at the point that we were, uh, with with the Taliban owning the entire country, it would take an entire division, to, you know, to, an, uh, an airborne division to drop on there just to secure that base, and we take a high amount of casualties. Uh, I don't think we we neither we either have the stomach or the, uh, the 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 national will to do that right now since since the pullout. But again, it's so the next step then is so where have where are the tentacles going to grow from this? From from this from this fall, and where are the where are the places that we can interdict? We've got a lot of rebuilding to do, both from a prestige standpoint, from a an alliance standpoint, and even from a international respect standpoint. And so it's really going to be more of a I hate to say it's at, at a defensive measure, but as a a way to pause and regroup and refit, and then and then learn the footprint of these new organizations, these terror organizations as they pop up and stamp them down before they, they can ever get a foothold anywhere.
and that's what I was just about to say, Eric. I mean, how long? How long have we got? I mean, you, you just mentioned, you know, we need to get um, respect back, um, and, and that's not. I guess that I'll come on and ask you about what's it like at the moment in the US. I certainly know what it's like here in the UK talking to the military. Um, I, I don't really like watching the, the mainstream media, um, but obviously right. you, you do. Um, and, and what the general sentiment is here. Uh, and, and of course, our governments have always been in alliance. Um, I'm not quite sure where we are with this one. Right. It's certainly do with, I know, with the military. What, right. What's it like there? What's the, what are the views in, in the US generally? There, there is a lot of frustration. I know from uh, the, our Veterans Affairs Organization, which really helps veterans with, uh, with mental illness and uh, PTSD. I, I know their phones have been ringing off the hook. That's, that's been a published fact right now that a lot of veterans are having a hard time struggling with this. And, and again, even as, as a member who, was, I had, uh, who had left the military before 9-11, just the, the, the influence that I could have had to prevent a lot of this is weighed heavy. Um, and, and I know that's you know within uh, anybody who's worked this. So it's been, there's been a lot of soul searching within individuals, uh, both soldiers, officers, veterans, active duty, uh, you know, and even folks who work in the security realm. It's, there's going to be a lot of individual and then organizational soul searching to figure out, all right, we, this is a new phase. We need to readjust. And we need to prepare for the next one. Uh, quit feeling sorry for ourselves. Pull up your bootstraps and let's move out. And that, that's, that's really the attitude that needs to take place, whether, whether it's from an an analytical standpoint or from an organizational security standpoint um, with the amount of refugees that are being spread throughout the world uh, and accepted without properly vetting them we may have already let in the reconnaissance teams and planning teams into our own country so not only do we have an issue of americans and westerners left behind but we may have introduced uh, taliban or terrorist operatives into onto our own soil and let them identify, pick out, and plan targets already. And that's that's what I mean by how dangerous of a time we're we're in now. And and I, you know, it's just such a difficult one, um, I guess, Eric. Because um, as as we've seen on the news, um, we know what's happening. We know how the Taliban treats certainly their women, their children. Right. Um, and and there are there are innocent people, mass, lots of innocent people that right. that would be victims to this and we've, we've got we're caught on that that edge of do we take them in rescue them or like you say are we actually we don't are we opening up doors um to, to potentially the enemy without knowing right are there measures that we can put in place to stop that um happening well i, I think at least the good the good part or the i hate to say it that way but a, a, a benefit from the disaster of 9-11 was we've built throughout our society a much more protective security apparatus. And so even from at the federal government within the military, but also in, in our commercial sector, um, a lot of people don't know this, but places like Disney have intelligence analytical teams to protect their theme parks, to understand the threats that may come to them or to you know the, the entertainment industry has has now picked up on that so for 20 years they've been preparing for this it's it's just time to to, to light that lamp that says you you've been preparing for this so long now it is coming and whether you're working in 
you know, infrastructure, whether you're working in, in nuclear power or anything like that, these are all these are all targets that are open that are open for business in terms of terrorists. But we've at least built and spent an inordinate amount of money to build up our security posture all throughout our society. Um, that's at least one benefit that we've we've at least kept our guard up that long. Eric, are you in um, talks with? I mean, is your article going to be published? Are they listening to you there? Within the school? Oh, this yeah, is it's wow, a, yeah. wider than the school. <laughs> yeah, it's a school. I mean, I, I do get calls. I do help analysts frequently. Um, several of them, just because I, I do give webinars, I give presentations on threat profiling. Most of it is based upon the, the book I published last year on intelligence operations. So I do get lots of calls for help. And I some and most of it I just do it on the side. Eric, tell me, did, did you see this coming? Was there was this? Did you, did you know not not in a, a secretive way, but could you foresee this potentially happening? If there there was always a fear of, of us leaving Afghanistan, whether we were going to leave it, uh, you know, better. I, I want to say it better than when we got there. Um, we in this case we did not, and. There, you know, there were some aspects that were better, but uh, it's it's been a it's been a struggle now. the The best thing to know about this type of terrorism is it is a it is a long game, and I think there was and I can't remember who it was a very it was a politician that said it's uh, from the U.S. It was so such a long time ago. It was you know that, that how long do we expect to be how long do we expect to be fighting this war? And, he, and I think he remarks it was something like eighty years at least we could be in here for generation after generation and honestly and as sad as it is to admit that that's that's the fight that we are you know that we're still in the midst of so the end of our operations in afghanistan is not the end of the campaign it's not the end of the war it's not the end of the game it's it's halftime halftime with a few injuries our side your right. side Right. Um, and, and God bless every single life that has been lost on behalf right. Absolutely. Uh, of what's gone on. Um, Eric, do you have any final, I found this extraordinarily interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to, to reading your article, certainly. Um, is there any last words you would like to say? Um, yeah, just again, check out the article at amuedge.com. Um, and it's, you know, as things progress and things change, I, I hope, hope, hope that I am wrong, but I have, I have, with the, the amount of time that I have spent teaching counterterrorism analysis and putting information together and studying groups, you know, over, over decades, I, I don't see it going any other way than, than the fight coming to us. Um, well, on that note, I'll end with my, my question that I always end with. Um, which is, if you were to write a message in a bottle for future generations to find, Eric, what would that message be? It would be to remember this is, remember this is a long fight and it's on, it's on us how much we will continue to defend ourselves. Eric, thank you so much for being a guest on this special show. Thank you. Um, thank you for all the work that sure. you're doing on behalf of our nations. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like and you'll get it straight into your inbox.